So it's it's already been so long. I've ruined everything. I already cracked it open. <laughs> oh my word, Gav! Your manners have just gone out the window. I apologize wholeheartedly. I have expressed to you my great shame, and now we'll continue. So since I've already humiliated myself and cracked things open before we even got started, I'll just give it a pour. And you're judging me. No, I'm no, me. I'm judging you poor, and I also trying to work out what the can is as well. I will turn it around just one second. Look at that. There we go. Okay. So I think I've done a Granite Brewery one before, but Granite Brewery, this is where I got married. And uh, since we haven't spoken in a while, uh, we had anniversary number three up there. And this one is the Ringberry. It is a Ringberry Ale. Uh, beautiful raspberry aroma precedes this refreshing ale. Cream, crisp, and carbonated. Uh, so yes. Cheers. Very nice, enjoy. Yeah, it has been a while. I don't know. I think we're calling this the uh, second series. Gav's been very busy with work and parenthood. I've had a second kid arrive. Yeah, and, just uh, drop that casually, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I had number two. <laughs> yeah, the number two's arrived. So, yeah, it's been a busy, busy bit of time. So, uh, yeah, I think I've earned this beer as well. This is another homebrew, Gav. Oh, look at that. You must have quite the, the, the stockpile there. No, it goes. It definitely goes. Uh, this is, um, I've made a bit of a um, Czech Pilsner this time. Um, used some Sars hops in it. Um, I tried this the other day when it wasn't supposed to be ready and you could just tell it needed a little bit more carbonation, needed to clear up a little bit. And it is looking absolutely beautiful right now. Right, let's give it a now, big I'm, I'm sure you've had it. Uh, like an actual Czech Pilsner from the Czech Republic. You can have one, like a Pilsner or Kel, or whatever the hell they say it. You have it over there, and it's really good. You have it over here, and it's it's completely different. Yeah, completely different. Yeah, honestly, listen to our prog podcast. I think we probably both rabbited on about Pilsner for a while. It's beautiful over there. But um, you know, this actually, is I'm pretty happy with this. And I and I and because I'm a bit cheap, I always like to work out how much it costs me per pint to uh, make. And this cost me about eighty five cents per pint. Well, look at that. And uh, you make me look foolish. But uh, yeah, well, what's the story with Pilsners where the people in Pilsen didn't like the ingredients they were given and just like chucked them all away and made their own? I don't know the whole story. I think that's what I heard anyway. That's great podcasting. I was just like, oh, yeah, there's a story, but I don't know it. Yeah, there well, we go. <laughs> you know, we invite our <laughs> listeners to, uh, you know, do their own research. We've already talked about the beers that we're having. So that's our job is done. Now we move into the other stuff. And you, sir, are the focus today as, well, you're from Shrewsbury, but you're all about the Manchester. So um, we're, we're, we're touching a couple of spots. So where do you want to take us first? Oh yeah, I'm, I was born in, uh, you know, born and raised in Shrewsbury, but the only family, no person in my family who was born outside of Manchester, so I'm definitely of Manchester stock and spent an awful lot of time up there as a kid. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, obviously when people go to Manchester, they go to Old Trafford or they go to the Etihad, um, there's a lot more they offer around there. And I'm, I'm not going to talk about all the grounds today because honestly there's loads, it's probably the most congested area outside of London in UK football, just in Northwest. So considering like they're not huge towns on the on the outskirts of Manchester, but they all have a football club. It's just very busy there. So um I'd just like to talk about a couple. I'll probably start with um Oldham Athletic. Uh Boundary Park. Um it's like honestly I don't remember much about the venue at all. This is like um what I loved as a kid is friendly matches were, you know, the 
international Premier League Mickey Mouse Cup or whatever it's called where they do these big friendly tournaments and stuff. It was like they just go and play the local teams. So I used to go to the friendlies all the time. So I remember going to watch City play away at Oldham in a friendly. And I think I found it on, online. It was uh, the 2000 to 2001 season. I was looking at the City team and you had George Weyer playing. You had... Um, Alfie Harland, Erling's. Uh, this was playing. this was before Roy Keane uh, went out to end his career. Yeah, yeah, this would have been literally months before that happened, and uh, and just a few other like odd ones from City's you know lower league days still left over there, including Robert Taylor, who was uh, a decent goal scorer in the lower leagues, but my god, he liked his dinners. He was a big, big lad, um, and what I suppose what was great about the one friendly I went to there is we hung around a little bit after the game and um, the security, let's say, was lax. So I remember at the end of the game, just me and my two sisters just walking onto the pitch <laughs> and um, we just stood there just talking to um, Paul Dickov, um, former Scotland international, a uh, former Arsenal lad Former well, Arsenal I man, I was just yeah. going to say. And uh, you know, chatting to him for a bit, uh, mucking around with his kids and stuff. I think I must have been about 10, 11 at the time. And um, you know, it was just it was just like yeah. So imagine just getting that access to like a Premier League footballer now. It, it's just it just wouldn't happen. And then because we kind of hung around a bit and the you know the ground had emptied out, I remember we went back into um, into the concourse, and then suddenly, like we went past this like security guy and like past this door, and suddenly my dad just grabbed the three of us, me and my two sisters, and just like shuffled us into this room. I was like, oh, what's he done? It was like when the security's not looking. And then we go, we're in the player's lounge. <laughs> so, so like he's just like snuck us into the player's lounge. And like, you know, we're there and like um, Nicky Weaver, who was like uh, you know, somebody who I was adamant would be in the England squad and be England number one one day, um, was there having a pint at the bar. My dad was chatting to him. Just all these big name players were there, you know, were big name in my eyes. And, um, yeah, we were just, me and my two, two sisters just having a field day, collecting autographs, meeting all the players and stuff like that. It was crazy. And then we snuck through this other back door. This is where my, like, sneaking into venues and all this kind of stuff comes from. Like, I was kind of encouraged to do it. Um, and, like, me and my sisters, like, we snuck into another door and we were in the changing rooms and we're, like, nicking, like... Uh, the sock tape and stuff like that from there. Uh, <laughs> sadly, sadly, the, you know, the real loot, like, you know, the boots and stuff had gone. But, um, you know, it was just um, an incredible experience. And what I wonder, like, I think you do get that kind of access in the lower leagues for the most part, league league matches, but, but like for Premier League. What you were saying about the big clubs, you know, now going to chase the, the dollars everywhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I always come back to Arsenal, and I remember they used to always, they always, under Arsene Wenger, went to this small town in, in Austria called Bad Waltersdorf. And the only reason I remember it is because uh, twice uh, Canada has been there. Once when I worked for them under, you know, when Benito Flora was coaching, they essentially had, that was where they had their training camp. And we would hop a bus, we went into the Czech Republic, and they had a game against the Czechs, and then we went into Slovenia and had a friendly against Slovenia. And then sort of after my time there, uh, those last friendlies um, before the mad dash to the end of World Cup qualifying in 2018, 
uh, they played one of their friendlies. I think it was what was it? Uzbekistan or something like that. And again, I I, I covered that one from a uh, a journalistic point of view. And I was actually traveling in Europe at the time, and my wife joined me. And you know, there were a few voyageurs there, and it was uh, you know it was a wild time because this, um, because it was just I just remember it for Arsenal, but here I was you know in in the flesh and it's an it was a nothing venue but they had pictures of all the wall uh, up on the wall of you know arsenal being there every year and so many teams had done training camps there and i just imagine the accessibility and it just doesn't happen anymore if you're a fan of a big club but like you mentioned uh lower league clubs it's it's almost the norm where it's it's more friendly it's more personable and you, you can really uh, get to know, you know, if you're a supporter of that team. And I'll just mention Oldham Athletic, the current home of Canadian goalkeeper uh, Jason Lutweiler. Um, I know he's been called up a few times. I'm not sure if he's gotten a game. I know he's been in a few camps. He played for um, he played for Shrewsbury a little bit. He played for Shrewsbury for a while. He played for Shrewsbury for a season or two. And yeah, he's a Blackburn. I think maybe on loan from Blackburn. If I remember yeah, correctly. I think so. Yeah, now he's. But anyway, he's at Oldham. So uh, yeah, I know what you're saying with with those those lower league venues where. You know, you never know who you're gonna run into or, or what you'll see. But anyway, no, no, it's it's a, like because I think preseason was very basic back then, wasn't it? And it was just like it was to get fit, it was for team bonding, and it was for you know maybe in the sense you know, for supporting local community or maybe in the sense of that Austria camp, maybe Wenger had some kind of connection there. Cause I know that he was uh, you know, born and raised in easternmost uh, you know France in Strasbourg in a pub actually. I, I think it was just remote. I mean, it was it was, it was a nothing. It was a tiny town. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a pretty nice hotel slash spa that catered to a lot of teams, and they had you know pictures on the wall of all these teams. And I think that was it. They got to escape until the, you know the owners came in and said, "Well, we've got to make money with preseason." So uh, that chance to to bond and to just sort of be with your teammates in a small town is you know a thing of the past, essentially. Yeah, I think with the local um, friend leaders as well, <clears throat> like I think it perhaps made the players appreciate a little bit more about what the club was about. I mean, um, like obviously, you know, you got George Weyer going to Oldham and stuff like that, but I don't think they questioned it because like they're supporting the local community. And I think a sign of this was like um, just a real peculiar moment is um, when we parked up to go to this game, we walked past this like wasteland, like it was just like a real dirty, dusty car park, and there was this like Ferrari parking up in there. Like, what is going on here? And out jumps out, you know, Georgie King Cladsey, like a Manchester City legend, and he'd left two years earlier. I think he was playing for Ajax at the time. He'd left two years earlier. He wasn't playing for the club, but he just comes to this friendly to come and see like his old friends, yeah. come and support City, and like he. He no, he didn't even think twice about going to Oldham to go and watch a football match. And I think, you know, maybe I, mean, I sound like a bit of a grumpy old man here, but like maybe if you just like had you know these Premier League stars go around to a couple of these local grounds each time, they'd understand their club a little bit more about where their fans come from. I think it would be. Uh, I don't know. It's just get that community vibe back. I think that's what we're all about, isn't it? Well, yeah, we've we've harped on that a lot. Where uh, it just feels more like franchises rather than rather than a community vibe. I mean, you look at, you know, anytime there's a high-priced talent available, there's like four clubs he could go to, and it's just not exciting anymore. It's not interesting anymore. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, we look at that. You, you and I are looking at this in sort of a, 
sort of an old romantics way. And I've never even, you know, sort of lived long term in the UK with a, you know, a small ground nearby with and a local team to go support. But I just know that if ever, you know, if ever that happened, uh, I would, you know, probably be there on Saturdays at three o'clock watching my league, whatever team playing. <laughs> no, I, I, I just love it. I get such a buzz for it. I have to say what my um, main enduring memory of Oldham is, though, is... um. It was actually at Main Road, City's old ground, and um, it was when City were in the third tier, and um, it was a miserable, miserable game. Um, it was like City lost 2-1 at home to Oldham, I think it was, and um, this bloke comes running on, like during a goal kick for uh, Oldham, and he's wearing these huge Doc Martins, and I remember he was, uh, you know, he, he kind of kicked the ball in the goal, and he was running around for ages, and the stewards couldn't catch him, and, and the but the thing was, the Doc Martins were all that he was wearing. Um, so, and honestly, he had... I was young at the time, but he had a massive cock. And I, and I think the stewards chased him, kind of half wanted to catch him, half didn't because he just didn't want to get a face you know, full of bum. <laughs> and like, this is what I always envisioned Oldham fans to be like, just wearing Doc Martins and nothing else with a massive penis. <laughs> and uh, honestly, this bloke showed more in the tackle than the uh, City defenders did in the nineties. Let me tell you that. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a streak that lasted a long, long time with lots of uh, reluctant stewards chasing him around. It was brilliant. <laughs> so, so Boundary Park, you mentioned it was the you know a dusty parking. It looks like it's in the middle of a field. Like, what's what's around there? Well, the thing is, it's like um, it, so it's to the east of Manchester. Um, a little bit north of where my family live now, and like, it's got some lovely countryside around there. Um, you're, you're very close to the Peak District, um, where I'm going to be doing a bit of fell running in a couple of a couple of months and more. Um, it's um, just a stunning, stunning part of the world. I think that's um, something that Manchester and Sheffield offer that maybe perhaps a couple of other cities don't in the UK is where you can, you know, you. You go up a, a little bit up the uh, up the motorway. You go to like Burnley or something like that. Like Burnley, I'm not the greatest fan of the town. Um, I used to do steward in there, um, but like the scenery around it, the, the hills, the greenery, it, it's really really beautiful. And Oldham's definitely there. I think Rochdale is kind of like on the cusp of this countryside as well. Um, if people want to, you know, have a little look around on the Google Maps and stuff. Um, my family live in Glossop, and the local teams Glossop North End, and just the uh, the scenery and stuff like that is really really nice. And yeah, Oldham, you no, know, it's still a, you know a, a good functioning town. Um, you know, a town that I think was probably very, very impo- important for when the uh, industrial revolution happened and a lot of cotton mills going on and all that, all that kind of stuff. But um, no, it's it's a it's a nice part of the world. You know, if if you uh, you know don't hang around the town centre. <laughs> and uh, I mean, one thing I always wonder. Uh, sort of food-wise, what would a place like this have? I mean, there's the stereotype, your your pies, and, you know, if you go to a place near the water, there's seafood. Uh, you know, any idea what, what would it be around there? It's been a while now. I mean, like, um, well, I'll talk about Berry in a bit, but Berry's like in Manchester, kind of like on the outskirts, well, in Greater Manchester as well, and they claim to be the birthplace of Black Pudding. Um, and oh, then- joy. Yeah, I, I I actually really like black pudding. Well, yeah, and, well, you're English, and, and, so. yeah, yeah, true. And then there's like, um, no, it's kind of like good northern fare because uh, you, you know you got Wigan nearby and they pride pride themselves on their pies. 
Um, you know, there's only like I don't know, forty minute drive down the road. So like, yeah, it'd just be traditional football fare, just good chicken, bolty pies, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, as I say, like, Barry's another one. I don't know if you want to talk about that, or do you yeah. have some other questions about? Oh, of course. Let's let's, let's switch on to Barry. Well. So with Bury, they play at Gig Lane. Well, they don't anymore because they've ceased to exist. I'm not too sure if the um, you know super non-league replacement team plays there or not. I think FC United and Manchester have played there for a bit as well. I think so. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, so with Bury, like I've got a family who live there still. Um, like uh, my uncle Barry, my auntie Beverly, and their kids, and their many many grandkids um, are, are there. And um, I've always liked it. It's um, you know got a good you know good community vibe. I, I don't think it has the best reputation as a town, but I've always found people to be very very friendly there. And my um, you know, my grandma Phyllis, um, who has you know sadly passed um, for, for, with coronavirus during this pandemic, um, she was extremely um, warm and loving person. You know, raised two girls as a single mum. You know, but they basically had a piano and nothing else. They were really skin. Uh, they had to hide hide from the rent man very often um, because he just didn't have the cash to do it. But you know, she was a really important lady to me. She used to go and uh, eat down the local Morrison supermarket, have some uh, you know jacket potato and all that kind of stuff. You know, she's just, just a good working class lady. You know, just just so loving, so warm, and um, probably the best experience I ever had at Gig Lane um, was when I slept at hers the night before. And then the next day I walked down the road. I think I've mentioned this maybe in the Wembley episode briefly, but I didn't go into great detail because this was a game that preceded uh, Shrewsbury at Wembley. But it was in 2009. And um, so I walked down the road. It only took about 20 minutes to walk to the ground. And I was a bit early for my mates arriving. So I watched a bit of um, bit of maybe Sunday League or Saturday morning League. Um, you know, some, some big fellas nursing a hangover trying to play football, which is good. And then... My mates arrived. You know, they had a few uh, had a few pops on the drive over, so they were they were well oiled, much more than me. who had been there hanging out with his gran. Um, but it was just um, a wonderful, wonderful football match. It was um, Shrewsbury were one 0 down from the previous leg. The goalkeeper Luke Daniel, so I really didn't feel think much of it. He was on loan from West Brom, made a really horrible mix up with a defender in the first leg, if I remember correctly, and. Um, came into this game not with much hope but you know gonna have a good day out and stuff like that and this goalkeeper proceeded to have the best individual goalkeeper performance I've ever seen in my life and like you know I've watched a lot of Premier League you know, I've watched a lot of you know like top international number ones this lad's had a decent career he's actually just left Brentford he's playing under uh, Neil Warnock at Middlesbrough now um, he's had a decent career but like I've never seen anything like it um <laughs> Saving penalty, a penalty in normal time, um, it's just just incredible saves one after the other against. You no, know, Barry had a really good strike force at the time for the level as well, and just saving ridiculous, you no know, athletic saves. And um, Shrewsbury levelled the tie undeservedly um, on aggregate at the end of normal time. A cracking volley from outside the area by a veteran scouser called Kevin McIntyre. Um, and you're like, oh, okay, the momentum's with us now, going to extra time. Start of extra time, a young lad from the academy, Stephen, uh, Stephen Leslie, decides to boot somebody and the other team gets sent off. Uh, so Shrewsbury <laughs> then against 10 men, and that's when the goalkeeper basically stood on his head and just did it all on his own, Luke Daniels. Um, penalty shootout, Shrewsbury did it. And um, 
it's just at the scenes of the players at the end. It was just, it was really, really nice. I mean, Grant Holt was playing for Shrewsbury. He'd been like in a, you know, a one-on-one tussle with one of the Sodji brothers. The Sodji brothers were like playing non-league football. One of them played rugby league as well. It was like a big family. Um, he was like in a real tussle with them. He moved on to um, Norwich City shortly after. And there was just uh, Graham Coughlin, who'd been a bit of a lower league thing. He almost looked like he had tears in his eyes. I don't know if it's the first time he got the chance to go and play at Wembley. Uh, Kevin McIntyre scored the equaliser, looked really, really emotional. Um, and yeah, then Shrewsbury lost in the final, but forget about that. But it was, uh, it was just, um, it was a, uh, yeah, what one, like I, I've watched this game back and, it, and the quality is obviously not that good. And I definitely remember it with rose tinted spectacles a little bit, but the individual performances in this game, particularly from Luke Daniels, the goalkeeper. Ah, uh, yeah, as I said, among the best individual performances I've ever seen on a football pitch, definitely. Wow. Well, I, 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 a couple of things that I think about when I think about Bury is, is that where Terry Dunfield went on loan when he was still with Manchester City. And the story he tells me uh, is, you know, he's a kid. And I think he played, what, one game for Man City. And they loan him out to Bury. And he comes back after playing there. And, the, I, you know, Terry might correct me, but uh, if he hears us. Um, and he and he tells Kevin Keegan, either you play me with Manchester City or I'm going back to Bury. So they sent him back to Bury. <laughs> he had no chance. He had a good midfield at the time. Yeah. Uh, I remember when the move happened, like Ali Benabia, Ayol Berkovic, Sean Wright Phillips, um, Kevin Horlock. There were some decent midfielders in that team. He had no chance. But he was a very, very, very bright prospect at City. Definitely the high, most highly thought of in the academy. Yeah. Expected to have a better career than Sean Wright Phillips did. Actually, um, oh. he was the number one prospect. Um, so, yeah, he, he made a couple of bad bad moves along the way. But I think he carved out a pretty uh, a, a career he can be proud of in the end. He did okay, and now he's now he's doing stuff here. So it's all worked out well. The other thing I think about when I think about Bury is that they no longer exist. And uh, you know, I remember seeing those videos of of the people talking about their community club, and this was before you know, it, they were finally sort of put into administration or whatever it was, and they were saying what they would lose. And there are, you know, generations of people talking about this club and, uh, you, you know, and it's sort of, well, a lot of people blame the owner, but, um, you know, I'm sure we can get into that on another day. But, um, you know, people sort of say, I've heard that this is a symptom of, of, of a number of things. And uh, a lot of lower league clubs are, are, not quite in a similar situation, but, you know, a lot of communities could, you know, if, if things go the way they did at Bury, could lose their local club. Yeah, I mean, like, Bury were, in my eyes, functioning, a functioning lower league club. I, this was, they were struggling financially, but, like, it was a bad owner. Um, yep. it's, uh, I think Steve Dale, I think, if I remember his name correctly. Arrogant. Um, knew nothing about football. He freely admitted that before he bought the club, he didn't even know Barry had a football team. <laughs> um, just didn't pay the players. Didn't care. Um, there's you know, players there who you know, had to put their houses up for sale because they didn't get paid for so long. And like it was a real community hub. And like there's people like um, I'm pretty sure Gary and Phil Neville's mum works in the ticket office or as a secretary there or something until the day the club died and like obviously she doesn't need the money her you know her sons have done very well in football her daughter's done very well in netball she doesn't need the money but she she works there because it's a community hub 
and it was um, it was devastating when that went because it was a a lovely little lower league ground. Um, you know, it's kind of a little bit up on the hill from the football pitches where I was watching the um, Sunday league go on. It you know, the away end was lovely and steep, great atmosphere built from it. Um, could see um, you know could see an executive box that didn't look very executive y but um, David Nugent was watching because he passed through the academy there. Um, it was just intimate, a good venue. Um, you know my. Uncle Barry, who I mentioned earlier, if he wasn't watching City, you go and watch Barry play. It's just what you do. Um, and yeah, it was um, devastating when I went. I had, I had another good memory um, when I went there for a friendly, another City friendly. Um, it would have been 1999. And again, you just see you know a few of the young kids play. Um, you see, it was after City got promoted from the third tier. And... Um, we, we we just like again hung outside the ground for a bit because me and my sisters like to meet the players and stuff like that and my dad and my stepmom who went to this game didn't really mind and Sean Gota who became one of my favourite well my favourite player of all time um, he stood outside and just talked to us for an hour and like you know we're just like you know these kids who are just starstruck and he just like just chatted to us asking us about skill and you know all sorts for about an hour and just like the special I always feel so so grateful and I hope I can recreate similar moments for my kids as they grow up to, to kind of like meet the you know, the people you idolise when you're younger like that and have them in such intimate and a normal setting like outside Gig Lane to have that was just incredible and it definitely that was the start of my uh, my extremely passionate love affair with Sean Gota and then why he <laughs> became my uh, yeah, five, my favourite footballer of all time I think we talked about him on about Bermuda too. <laughs> yeah, absolute hero in Bermuda. Uh, well, I mean, I yeah. just sort of checked, and uh, it's it's so weird that you know, it's especially as you know, a Canadian, giving the relative age of this country, where Bury FC won the FA Cup in 1900 and 1903, um, and they actually hold the record with Manchester City for the biggest win in the FA Cup final, six nil in 1903 they beat Derby County uh but it's just weird you know considering Canada wasn't a country until 1867 officially you know you know all that there there were of course our first nations who lived here before us and we can't you know forget about them but uh yeah it, you know considering it's just so weird that Bury FC played for so long and it's gone because of financial issues and that record stood alone until um 2019, I think. I think it was that City win against Watford, and that was a you know six nil as well. And um, and that was and that was just like there were quite a few late goals in that game, if I remember correctly. You know, the floodgates opened. Um, so Barry had that record alone for quite a while, and yeah, it's just like such a a rich history and such an important hub of the community, and for it to just go like that, just due to a, a reckless owner. I mean, there's there's a huge review going on in football right now. Um, it's led by the Conservatives, which I feel in two ways about I can't stand the Conservative Party. But at the same time there, maybe perhaps their nationalism will come in handy for once in this in this sense and they'll be wanting to protect all that's good about, you know, English. You know, so um you know, hopefully it works out. But hopefully football clubs in the future will be protected against these owners that are either just using these clubs as a plaything or to, you know, spin a few quid for themselves. Um, park some, park their money for a while. Yeah, exactly. Quickly, we have a few other spots you've been to. What, uh, which other ones stood to mind for you? Well, I'll, I'll just do a quick. Um, I'll just do a quick brush around. I'll just look at my um, footballgroundmap.com. Everyone should get it because it's a really, really nerdy device. 
Um, I got you on you on it, didn't I, Gav? Yes, you did. Yeah, I love that sort of thing. I love knowing sort of where I've been and uh, sort of weird sort of picking my brain, sort of remembering where I've gone for for soccer and for not for soccer events. So, uh, yes, everybody should sign up and get that one, and they don't pay us anything for that. This is this is just because we like it. Yeah, it's great. Like you can just put a pinpoint on all the grounds you've been to. It's it's really really good, and you know I'm just like clicking around now. I mean, like Stockport County really really easy to get to on the train you know i i've actually watched rugby there watched sail sharks play at leicester and it was a real real good atmosphere like rugby's not segregated um in rugby union a lot of the time so it's really nice to kind of like sit next to some you know leicester tigers fans and take the piss out of them a little bit um <laughs> gloss up that i mentioned earlier um i'll probably do a, a single episode on this gav because I'm going back home soon. I'm going to be going to Glossop. I'm going to be probably talking to a few people that are very much involved in the club. Um, so I'll probably report back my findings maybe in a couple of months. Maybe we'll have a good chat about that one. Um, um, Hyde, which I went to to set, do a story. In, you know, I, can, I can pass over Hyde, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. When you go back there, are you going to go to an FC United of Manchester game? Absolutely not. <laughs> now, I, I appreciate the um, the sentiment behind FC United of Manchester, but at the end of the day, they are probably the most hardcore version of Man United fans you can find. Um, yeah. So I so I, I think you know I know my place. Um, I appreciate what they've done. I appreciate the why they were founded, but I'm the not fact that they've there. stuck around for this long is something. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. They're like a proper, well-established non-league team, and and yeah. they are, they are, they're fan-owned. Um, yeah, I I can't fault them. I just wouldn't support them. Well, um, uh, yeah, you can still go. You can just you know let me know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Maybe I could do a little undercover mission. Um, <laughs> I just who's that just guy in the mustache? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And just oh, actually, here's one to avoid um, for football fans: Bolton, <gasps> Bolton. Don't go to Bolton. Well, explain. I mean, I as an Arsenal sport, I have my own reasons for not liking Bolton because they were always Arsenal's bogey team. They would kick Arsenal players around, and we'd complain because that's what we do. But anyway, why? Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like it's not even in Bolton. <laughs> it's in a place called Horwich, I think. Horwich, Horwich, yeah. And um, it's. I went there, I saw City draw 3-3 away there, um, Tevez, one of Tevez's early games for City. I think Gary Cahill scored an absolute beaut of a volley for Bolton from outside the area. Underrated player Gary Cahill, he's won a lot in his career and I think people remember the stiff elderly defender that he became, but he was a really athletic, quality centre-back and uh, yeah, he scored a hell of a goal that day. But Bolton is just... Um, I remember being... Not allowed into a pub, even though I don't think I had any football colours on, but just because they kind of clocked me as a City fan. So, like, all the City fans were basically outside the local Tesco, I think it was, just drinking beer. Because there's nowhere else we were invited to, and there's nothing else around there. <laughs> like, it was just it was just like a, li- a very, very little town with mm-hmm. a football ground in it. And, and the football ground is just, like, newish. Um, it's definitely new in UK terms, I think, maybe but in the 90s. Um, initially the Reebok Stadium um, I think it's called the University of Bolton Stadium or something like that it though. is yeah um, but yeah it's just like a, just a generic stadium um, and I actually I, I also got a, um, a vague recollection of um, all the um, 
all the Bolton fans who are trying to, you know, give it something to the away fans, you know, with the wanker signs and all this kind of stuff and trying to be a, be a bit larry. Like, they're all, like, 13, 14 years old. So, like, you know, all, all the City fans are just thinking, like, does your mother know you're here and all this kind of stuff. Like, they're just, like, embarrassing themselves. So, like, no, I, I, I've, I've met a lot of Bolton fans um, and, I, and I have a lot of affection for Bolton because, actually, my grandpa and my grandma were, uh, used to watch a lot of Bolton when they were younger. Um, before they had kids, like I got, I got a picture of Bolton's old ground on my wall. I got a lot of affection for him, but I just, I can't get into that stadium. It's just not for me. Well, for Bolton, will always will have a special place in America. The one we've spoken about this, the one game at Highbury I went to, uh, it was Arsenal against Bolton, and I got to see uh, JJ Akacha play, who was one of oh, my favorite players player. of all time. And uh, you know, UC Askelinen was one of the, you know an underrated goalkeeper, but he was fantastic for them over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually did the Sam Allardyce side with those players in it and, um, you know, big, you know, well, not so big, but very aggressive Kevin Davis up front. Um, you, know, you had Stelios. Yeah, he played Shal- that day one time I saw them too. Ricardo Gardner did. And, and... Yeah, yeah. Just cla- just like very, did you, was it when they had the um, kind of like other imports as well, like even Campo? Um, he was like, oh, no. I remember him. Yeah, he was. He scored goals, but he looked like he was always about thirty-five pounds overweight. I think he probably was, but he still kind of yeah. had it, and he didn't really move that much. And they bought um, Ivan Helgera, if I pronounced that correctly. Um, and one, I of remember the, they, they uh, brought in Yuri Jurkaev too. Oh, st- stunning footballer! Such yeah. a lovely player to watch. He was as well. Yeah, he, some for some reason Sam Allardyce had this knack of. Um, Know, persuading these very you know, wonderfully gifted technical footballers to Bolton, which was an incredible feat for him. Um, <laughs> you know, Sam, Sam Allardyce was ahead of his you know, time for a while. He was one of the first few managers to embrace you know, proper statistics um, you know, before other managers. So yeah. he was ahead of his time, but like now when he tries to sign players, they're just all like, you know, early 30s Now he's British one of the players. band-aid managers that they bring in when, uh, when someone needs someone in an emergency. Yeah, yeah, he's, and and he's he always complains about um, foreign managers getting jobs ahead of him, and I'm pretty sure he said, "Oh, if I was called Sam Aladici, I'd have got that job and this job." You know? <laughs> and, and I'm I'm pretty sure the one thing I love, I'm not sure if you've watched Ted Lasso yet. No, 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 no. Honestly, I'm I'm, pl- I'm planning on binging it. Okay, because there's there's one thing there's 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 humor for everybody, and that's the thing. But there is uh, there's also humor that if you are a soccer fan, you'll get it. Uh, like one of them is when there's rumors that that Lasso's you know going to be fired or whatever. Uh, one guy walks in and he's just like, "We're wondering if we're going to be looking for a new manager because I, I'm pretty sure you know Sam Allardyce, uh, Alan Pardew, Harry Redknapp all wondering, and they're all like <laughs> the usual guys who are the filling yeah. roles who always get brought in halfway through season. And I'm rolling on the floor laughing because they put that much care into it. And so uh, anyway, I'm pretty sure Sam Allardyce was one of those names because it always is when someone gets fired. They're replaced by Alan Pardew. They're replaced by Sam Allardyce, and yada yada yada. <laughs> yeah, just just the absolute firefighters who will play hideous football, but they'll yeah. sometimes help you survive. Yeah. No, I th- I think like um, there are people who know the Manchester area well and will be on my case for not you no know, talking about one uh, no ones, but honestly, there's so many 
great grounds in the northwest and great places to go and visit. And like you know, you don't have to go too far out of town to go to Burnley and Burnley and Blackburn. Yeah. Blackburn, I've had some of the most wonderful you know away days at Blackburn, incredible yeah. days. And I, maybe I can talk about Burnley and Blackburn on on you know, one one separate podcast in the future as well. But like, we'll we'll take we'll have a theme with like the letter B or something. Well, there we go. Yeah, we're always looking for very, very tenuous links, especially for a share of a podcast. But no, I feel like I've, I've rabbited on and bored everyone enough here, Gav. I don't think I've got much else to say, but like, I think it's. Uh, I can't wait to go back there next month, see my family. It's been a while, and I think, um, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll report back some stories from Gloucester North End. Go, go to some things for real. Let me know what that's like. Although, I mean, I did. I was at the Canada soccer game recently against. <laughs> yeah, me too. It felt nice, didn't it? It felt well. You you were doing work there. I yeah. was there drinking. Yeah. Oh well, that sounds good too. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty oh, good. Well. But no, I, I'll report back from Gloucester North End. I'll report back from Shrewsbury Town. But we still we still haven't done a hometown one yet, so we want to get you on Shrewsbury. No, maybe I should. Maybe we should record it from Shrewsbury in a hey, pub. Hey, wouldn't that be classy? Yeah, that would be pretty good. Whew. Yeah, no, misty now. All right, cool. Should we wrap this up? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what we're talking about next, so maybe you'll lead it, but like I'd also like to say, you know, any you know, recommendations from our listeners, any places you'd, you'd even like to talk about, you know, please come forward. We have some excellent guests. We're really fortunate to have some really, really good guests in the first series, and we're going to have some really cracking guests this time around as well. So we'll have guests, Gav, will, uh, no, no doubt, you know, tell us some tales from CONCACAF and... Uh, and other parts of the world. No, it was going to be good I, fun. I, I believe I'm still dangling San Pedro Sula over people's heads. Yes, yes, so yeah. I, yeah I, no. I've been four times, so, you know, I, I've got some things. So we'll wrap this up. Uh, that was, of course, Dan Rouse, former board member of Hallam FC. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon.